Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. I am away this week, so the show will be with Eric Fawcett, GitterCountry.com, and Malik Grady. A lot of y'all follow Malik on Twitter, at Malik G. You also might know Malik from his uh, Orlando Magic podcast, The Close-Up Magic. Hope you guys enjoy Malik stepping in for me this week. Um, Part two of our Florida Basketball Hour season preview, previewing the front court. Led by all SEC big, Colin Castleton, I think has a chance to be a terrific, terrific front court for Todd Golden in his first season in Gainesville. Um, hope everybody that traveled up to homecoming enjoyed it. And, um, you know, as we get closer to basketball season, we just are so appreciative of all of you listening to our show. So I'm just good to go. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Uh, do you want to start? Or do you want me to start? I'll start. I'll start. Okay. okay. Hopefully this doesn't ruin your editing. This is hilarious. This is the first time I've ever hosted a podcast ever. No joke. Okay. But anyways, I'll give it a little break and then I'll start. Hello and welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour podcast. This is not Neil Blackman. We are giving him a much deserved break, I think, for people who follow the Twitter accounts and also follow Neil. Um, you'll know that this is uh, just a great time for him to step back from the podcast and, and all that he does. So, uh, Neil, you and your family are, are, are definitely in our thoughts. But uh, we've got me hosting, but luckily it is not just me, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. We are joined by Gator Twitter great Malik Grady. Uh, Malik, what's up, man? Not too much, man. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about uh Gator basketball, which we do often anyway, but uh, do it officially with the Florida Basketball Hour in a time of need. Uh, it's actually kind of cool, uh, kind of mixed feelings and stuff, but looking forward to it. <laughs> well, just so you know, this won't be, uh, or for people listening, this won't just be a time of need. You know, this isn't just a pinch hit from Malik. We're going to have <laughs> him uh, throughout the season, and we'll get into a little bit of what you've been doing for for us and for Florida basketball coverage. But uh, yeah, I've got to say, I was thinking about it this afternoon. I have done no exaggeration, hundreds of podcasts in my life. And I'll be honest, I have never hosted one in my entire life. This is the first time. So, you know, I, I kind of feel like Kayvon Allen in, in, in 2018, I'm playing out of position a little bit. Uh, I, I probably shouldn't be a, a primary ball handler. That's uh, where, where Neil's best, but I, I, I'm filling in for these minutes. So, so we'll see how it goes. But uh, Malik, I do think a lot of people that are listening um, will know you. You're pretty active on, on Gator Twitter. And I think you do a lot for the kind of community online, but for people who might not know who you are, can you uh, just say a little bit about yourself and, uh, how you became a Florida fan. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, I've been in Gainesville since I was about six or seven years old. Uh, we moved from upstate New York uh, down to Gainesville. Uh, really gotten into Gator basketball kind of maybe in the, the late 80s, early 90s, that kind of range. And I've been a you know a staunch fan ever since then. Um, nowadays, I'm also a big Orlando Magic fan. So I'm co-host of the Close Up Magic. So I kind of did my fingers in the NBA as well as college basketball. But it's one of those things that pretty much every day, uh, if I have a spare minute, I'm thinking about, I wonder what our lineup is going to be. I wonder what the second team is going to be, the rotation, those kind of things, pretty much year round. So uh, definitely a diehard basketball fan. Yeah, and it's, it's great that, uh, you know, you've done so much kind of Florida basketball coverage just on your own with, of course, the depth charts that you've become, <laughs> you know, semi-famous for on this podcast, uh, no doubt. 
but uh, now that you're, you're, you know, hopefully for us, uh, starting to a little bit more. And, and one of the things you have been doing is, is getting the chance to, to be a practice um, over the last couple of weeks. Can you uh, just tell us a little bit about uh, what that experience is like? And then, um, of course, what you're seeing on the floor. Yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. Um, Todd Golden, uh, Florida's new coach, and his staff are very open to wanting to get as much exposure as they can with local media, with national media, that kind of thing. So they've actually um, made all of their preseason practices open to the media to watch basically in, in their entirety. And then on these first couple of Tuesdays, they've had availability with coaches and players and that kind of thing. Uh, they ask the people only take a certain amount of video because they don't want certain scheme things necessarily getting out. But for the most part, it's just, you know, come as you are and, and check things mm -hmm. out. And it's been a, a nice opportunity to just um, see what they're doing. Things seem very organized. Uh, it's, it's a pretty deep team. Uh, seeing the way that they, they teach, how much um, authority Todd Golden uh, delegates to his assistants. There's a lot of coaching going on, whether it comes to uh, assist offensive coordinator Hovde, to even Coach Sapphire was on the floor when I think Coach McRae might've been on the road recruiting. You're seeing Carlin Hartman out there. Even uh, today, I saw Corey McRae out there. I've been able to get out there. Basically, this is my third time checking out practice because I do have other duties and all. But it's been a nice experience uh, talking to some of the other uh, scribes, as Steve Spurrier would call them, <laughs> and hearing their thoughts about Gator basketball. But it's, a, it's an exciting time to be able to kind of get in the nitty gritty and see a different style than we saw under Mike White, just even from a managerial standpoint. So obviously you weren't able to be in Mike White's practices. Um, a lot of media weren't that not, not specific to you. So it's not like you can give a total, like, this is what I saw in Mike White's practice versus this is what I saw in Todd Golden's practice. But like, you kind of just hinted at some of the changes or some, something you noticed that you thought would have been different from the White era. Can you just get a little bit more into that? Well, yeah. And I even, I even, I talked to a few of the sports writers and I've, I've talked to the, the SID Denver parlor and it seems to me that I think the SID and the way that the, the team is presented, it kind of takes on the personality of its coach. And I think that that kind of, uh, I don't know if the word is brash comment, but definitely confidence of Todd Golden, but also welcoming that kind of trickles down to like, Hey, you know, we think you're going to be impressed by what you see. We don't, we're not a, a afraid of showing you these things. Now also, this is early on. Sometimes coaches early on will show a lot of things. They, oh, yeah, come on in, check out practice. But maybe when things get a little bit tougher or maybe when you have a few losses or when you've had a couple of years where uh, you've had some sports writers sniping at you and fans sniping at you, maybe things close up a little bit. Maybe the mm. preseason practices might not be so collegial, might not be so open. But for now, um, things are, are definitely in, the, in that, that status, and you're seeing that kind of change in terms of what I'm, I'm hearing from the sports writers and all. Yeah, that is a good point, and, and it's, it is worth noting as much as, you know, we mentioned on the podcast that near the later stages of Mike White's tenure that things were not super open to media at, at all times. But uh, And some, some with good reason. Do. You know, and, there, there yeah. some things that he felt that people said that weren't necessarily accurate or – you know, some snipes things and all, and he has a young family growing up. So, you know, uh, things go stale over time, <laughs> you know? It yeah. No, and like, I just wanted to make sure people know that it, it wasn't always like that. It was like Mike White got to right. campus and was like immediately, you know, 
no, I'm not doing, you know, national media stories or anything like that, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, it is so, so, Hey, if there are some, some tough years for golden, but I mean, golden's also the guy who choked that, you know, who joked about his buyout um, and, and how that was, uh, you know, one of the goals to have a, a bot for him and his wife to have a buyout that was that big. And he's even kind of joked openly. That was like, Hey, if I, you know, don't make the NCAA tournament for a couple of years, or like, you know, we're not making the second weekend after several years, he's kind of joked that like, yeah, like you guys should be, hard on me that's but again that's also joking we'll see if that were to were to actually what their responses but no that's uh, that's good insight and and uh, we're definitely going to be happy that you're going to have the opportunity to be in more practices and um being uh being at some games i mean me and neil have never been uh never lived in gainesville so that's that's one thing that uh we never had the opportunity to to do to be a campus be it be a practice be there after games as much so uh really thankful that we're going to have you to to contribute some of that so uh we our last podcast we talked about the backcourt um which also kind of turned into um wings as well um so this is this we're going to talk about what's left and that's the the front court um and i think that uh, hey where else to start but uh but colin castleton i think that kind of throughout the conversation with all these front court pieces i'm sure uh, malik what you saw in practice is is going to uh, uh inform the conversation a little bit or you're welcome to interject whatever it is but like uh man what can you say con castleton a player that's probably going to be on some preseason kind of all-american watch lists um get, gonna be in that mix for one of the best players in the sec I, I would say he'd be you know in a lot of years if he were to return given the year he'd have last year you'd think oh this could be sec player of the year oscar shibway is gonna of course make things a little more difficult there but uh you know i think he's the the, the centerpiece for this florida basketball team so um I, I guess i actually will ask you directly um just with your eyes what you saw at practice uh, what was colin castle looking like well, I mean, the, the first thing that stands out is that he's healthy. Um, mm. he, he's had he had the the, the surgery. Uh, to, I think it was to his labrum, that kind of thing. He also that first day um, we spoke to him, he said that he weighed in a few days before then at two hundred and forty seven pounds, which is the heaviest he's ever been, the strongest he's ever been. And when you watch him out there, he looks assured. He looks confident. He looks um, happy. He, he looks looks like 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 a leader. And um, when you just hear the them guys guys casually say things where Colin Hartman was saying, oh yeah, you know, he's a, a two-time All-SEC player returning to the Gators. And like, you just don't really often have a two-time All-SEC player returning at center, you know, one of your most important positions. Um, so to be able to have that and have him have added things to his game, uh, he's confidently, you know, playing from the perimeter. He's not pulling up off the dribble off from three or anything like that. But when they do their three-point drills, He's shooting threes with everybody else. And even in games, uh, he's showing, uh, taking those shots from outside, even if it's just jumpers. Um, I, I kind of, was, I was talking to, I think it was uh, one, of, one, of the, one of our, uh, one of our, our local Jakes online. And he was talking about uh, Colin Castleton and saying that he doesn't want him practicing threes and how he needs to be inside and how, how that, that, that's going to be a problem. And I, I kind of pushed back on that if only just because in the preseason, I think it's the perfect time to experiment with those things, but also just kind of uh, pump confidence, pump positivity into the offense. There was an early video from Todd Golden where he was talking to his players and he just casually said to them at one point, he's like, when in doubt, shoot it. And if there's ever a casual phrase that shows a difference in mindset from the previous staff to this staff, right or wrong, when in doubt, shoot it, 
is not something that, that you would expect to hear from Coach White. There, there are a lot of great things about him in terms of loyalty, that kind of thing. But to even say to your center or to anybody, when in doubt, shoot it, um, that kind of kind of freedom, I think Colin Castle seems to be thriving in that. Um, he's running the floor well. So those are kind of my, my, my first impressions that he's going to thrive in this, even though he was already, like we said, two-time All-SEC. So. Yeah, I was definitely going to bring up the Jake Winderman um, <laughs> kind of tweet back and forth with with you. Of course, you guys are both good dudes and and like each other, so it wasn't like it was a uh, oh, there wasn't yeah. any vitriol or anything. Most <laughs> basketball, <laughs> but uh, and but I, you know what, I actually did love that. Like, I think there was a lot of people that were like, "Oh, Colin Castle's taking all these threes. It's awesome. We love seeing our big men shoot." And I kind of did respect that Jake was the one guy to push back and be like, "Hey, like this is kind of what this was the bit of the story last year. We heard he was going to shoot threes. The first couple he took, I don't hit, don't think they hit the rim, and I, he ended the season with zero makes. Yeah, he's and, 0 for 17 on his career, I believe. So, right, I mean, there, and, there's, and there's evidence. <laughs> right, and it's like, and he was awesome on the block. So, like, you know, let's not reinvent the wheel. And I think the one thing that is kind of most interesting to me about that, and the thing I wanted to ask you about for your opinion is like entering year five. Like by, by this point, in a lot of college players' careers. Their, their game is kind of set in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. I feel like when you look at players who came, who come back for like, well, even like with graduate transfer years, kind of before there was all these extra years available. And now what we're seeing with fifth and sixth year players, like there's not often huge jumps from years four to five or years five to six. It's kind of almost a little bit within the college game kind of are what you are by, by 21 years old. So we know what Colin Castleton, you know, is from, from what he was last year are you expecting a big leap from him or a small leap from him or about the same, or, you know, like about the same, but shooting some threes, like what, what are you kind of expecting from a player? Because again, I think a lot of people are by their, their expectations may be a little high because a player like him's coming back and they're like, wow, he's going to make, you know, another leap. And, you know, maybe he will interested in your thoughts. Yeah. I, I, I wonder, I think I'm, I'm looking maybe for a leap, in efficiency and maybe um, diversity in in the ways he's able to get things done because um, just watching the, the, the offense today there was a there's just some drills that they, they do where guys are moving to spots and there's kind of a free-flowing thing going I, I know that I, w- I wish I could have had your eyes because I know you would have <laughs> seen it and go oh that's this this and this but to me it kind of felt like watching the universe with the planets and the sun everybody going out. And there's natural plays where a guy flashes to this point. He looks for the guy down low, passes it out front. There's a pick set. A guy goes in, you throw it up to a guy for the roll, or you hit the guy in the corner, or there's a guy going back door here. There's all these natural outs that you see just, and that's just their normal drill, let alone whether they're preparing for a certain team on a given you know, Wednesday in February, something like that. So so for those type of things, that kind of free-flowing thing to be part of the offense, again, my hope is, I mean, just as a layperson watching it as a fan, that you'll be able to see Colin Caston be somebody who can dump the ball down low. He can uh, freeze a guy at about 15 feet and just take a jumper, set a pick, and then roll to the basket and be hit right in the pocket by a pure point guard like Trey Bonham or Kyle Lofton in ways that maybe he couldn't with a smaller point guard or, or not having this floor spread with other guys and all. So I'm hoping there's more efficiency. I'm also hoping that uh, 
when you're playing some of these teams that you should blow out, if you do blow them out, that he just comes in, gets some stuff going, and then you have a backup come in. He doesn't have to play these extended minutes where you can get worn down for the SEC schedule and all. So maybe uh, maybe even less minutes overall at, at certain times, but more efficient is what I'm hoping for. I don't know if that's realistic. Is, is that am I? Is that just pie in the sky, or what, what do you think? <laughs> well, I think some of the efficiency you kind of alluded to it is like even if Con Castleton is the exact same player that he was last year, like like literally, if you could just like carbon copy his skill set and pretend he didn't put on muscle or doesn't shoot the ball or what, whatever, just exact same as last year, but mm-hmm. you use him better, he could be more efficient. Just because again, there were so many times where they threw the ball into him on the block and they were, and four players were completely stationary and it just became so easy to double team him. So easy to defend him. And it turned into some turnovers where guys were screaming on Twitter at Colin Castle and being like, wow, like make better decisions. Don't turn the ball over. And it's like, well, if you throw the ball into a big man and, and, and nobody moves, just becomes very easy to double him and, and create turnover. So even if he's the same player, but Florida's offense is a little bit, a little bit better and the spacing's a little bit better and they know to throw it into him and, and get into some split action or run some back screens or uh, get some screens for shooters. It could just make life a lot easier for Colin Castleton. So I think yeah. that is reasonable. Well, and, and, and I, I think that there was a, a particular sequence uh, during today's practice where Colin Castleton had back-to-back incredible passes where uh, C.J. Felder was covering Alex Fudge and Castleton was able to thread a pass with a guy in his hip or kind of on the move for shots at at the basket. And I think on on both plays, uh, I think, uh, you know, C.J. Felder was right there. So there was kind of that frustration, like, man, I had him but the passes were so good and the movement from fudge was so good. And you can so like, so physical that things got done. And I, I, there was one time where Corey McRae after the play made sure he went over uh, to, I think Felder was, was like, Hey, listen, you know, that was just a great play. You know, uh, you didn't do anything wrong. You made the right read, but Castleton made a great play. I think I heard him actually, actually say that. So I'm hoping we see a little more of his passing ability. And that's where I think the threat of the outside shot, is hopefully going to help things. Not that he's just, you know, raining threes, but that he can be a playmaker out on the floor a little bit as guys go past him, you know, dribble handoffs, as you've seen in the NBA so often, and then just kind of throwing the ball down low to a guy cutting that kind of stuff. So I do hope there's a bit of a maybe jump in the assist, you know, or even just the, the quality of assist that you see uh, for him this year with the offense. So we'll see. Yeah. And I feel like that's going to be, of course, we'll, we'll see if where his skill set is like that. It's also like, that's going to be so much of what their offense is going to be like. And that's what I'm so much looking forward to. And when, when games start, um, what kind of one last thing, this isn't even a Castleton thing necessarily. It might just color the rest of our conversation, but you're obviously a big NBA fan in the NBA. We know that the center is less prominent than college basketball and in college basketball, you know, I was looking at the almanac today, the field of 68, three man weave, heat check, you know, college basketball preview extravaganza in there. Um, they're covering is like the year of the big and it talks about how you know all these best players in college basketball are big men and it's kind of funny to me like because i totally like agree with it the best players in college basketball are big men but it's like they called it the year of the big and to me it just seems like four of the last five years like seven of the best 10 players in college basketball have been centers again Mm -hmm. it's not like we have to go through every one of those but it just seems like this they called it the year of the big and I kind of agree, but it's also like, man, it seems like every year is the year of the big in college basketball. So, <laughs> you know, why do you think that the center position is 
a little bit out of favor and not an efficient way to score the basketball in the NBA, but is still an efficient way to, uh, you know, run an offense in the, uh, at the college basketball level. Well, it's, it's funny. Like, um, I, I, I guess some pushback because I, we, we all kind of, uh, there's a certain devaluing of the center in the, in the NBA when it comes to the draft and that kind of thing. However, when you have a great center, you can do great things in the NBA and, and in college. So it's not like the position is any less important. It's just in terms of um, how you invest in that position is, is what has happened. Is that you there's a, it's been proven that you can get centers in lots of different ways. You can have guys develop over time. You can have guys later in the, in the, even the first round, or even like a guy like Jokic, I mean, that's not a, that's an outlier, obviously, but you know, a kind of forgotten guy in the second round become the best player in the NBA. So if you're taking a guy super high, the question is, what's that return on investment if you spent the same thing on a big wing or, you know, a, a scoring point guard or all those those type of things? So I think that's where the, the difference goes. Not that the center position isn't any any less important. It's just that there, there are easier ways to, to get that. And I was, I was actually talking to them, the Upside Swings guys who do it, the podcast about uh, the NBA draft. They had me on, weirdly, about Florida basketball. And I was saying that... Um, I still think Colin Kasten is a guy who's going to play professionally and probably eventually, you know, get on a roster and maybe even a rotation big in the NBA. He won't be drafted because fifth year since, you know, seniors as centers who haven't shown that they're outside guys don't get drafted. But that doesn't mean that he can't play in that position. He has a seven, six wingspan, as we said before, he's 247 pounds. He has the requisite, you know, capabilities and skill. He's just going to have to grind even be undrafted and then all of a sudden it's like oh wow he's doing this in the g league oh he made the team out of camp oh he's the 12th man oh he's actually the third center and he's playing and we have to act surprised when when that route happens but it happens all the time so i think it's just big men are important but they're not the glamour draftees necessarily anymore unless they're the big names but even those guys flame out so often that people get get gun shot you know so yeah the nba is uh, is like something i don't think that a lot of fans kind of realize or I don't think a lot of people kind of want to think about the game this way but it's it's a league of markets and uh that's something that is not the you know sexiest purest sports fan way to think about the game but yes you especially in a salary cap league it's it's a game of markets and it's kind of like you know in in for all of for everyone who plays fantasy football, when it comes to drafting tight ends, if you, you either draft a, a top three guy high or you wait until the end and, and, and pick up, you know, one of the guys remaining and there's not a lot of value in mid high picks uh, there, but this is not the time for fantasy football takes. Now, now Eric, um, I, I, I did want to, um, you guys did talk about the backcourts last time. There was one thing that, that I wanted to mention about that real quickly, if I could, sure. um, you guys had, obviously we're talking about who's going to start and who's going to play here and all, all that kind of thing. Uh, there were a couple of, of tidbits about that that were interesting to me. One, Trey Bonham has been outstanding uh, in practice. And obviously Kyle Lofton has been slowed with, you know, whether it's a, maybe a knee to the thigh or a groin or whatever it is, that kind of thing. Um, and in my mind, I wonder if Trey Bonham ends up being the second best guard in terms of, of what, what practice does, how good does he have to be to be able to start next to Kyle Lofton? And alternatively, Riley Kugel, who his name keeps popping up over and over, how good does he have to be to be the guy that that starts next to, to Kyle Lofton? And so it just I know we've we've talked about Will Richard, we talked about Myron Jones, who are, are, are great players in, in and of themselves, but I just wonder about these outlier guys that do the I think the, the opportunity has to be there 
for them to be on the table as well. Do you fit, see it that way as well? Because you were talking about, you know, Trey Bonham maybe being a 12-minute type of a guy. I think he's going to have to play a lot more than that at some point. Well, I just think, like, if, if Kyle Lofton, who everyone seems super high on, is going to play, you know, I guess the easy way would be if he plays 28 minutes, mm-hmm. Trey Bonham kind of plays 12. And if he gets more minutes than that, it's going to be because he's going to have to beat out some combination of Kwesi Reeves, Niles Lane, Will Richard, and Riley Kugel. Like, it's one of those things that it's not just looking at the point guard position. It's Or like, oh, would these guys work together playing next to each other? It's like, well, if they do, then that means you're pushing out a wing. And that wing group is Kwesi Reeves, Niles Lane, Will Richard, Riley Kugel. You could even say, like, maybe Alex Fudge is going to play some minutes at the three, which has implications if you're kind of sliding a lot of those wings down the lineup. So, that certainly was no slight to Trey Bonham, who, again, like I kind of mentioned too in the podcast, like I think the Gators are going to need someone who can create and make a shot. And as much as I love Kyle Lofton, that's just something we haven't seen. And, you know, like we talked earlier on the podcast, something that if you're expecting a player to like make a huge leap between years four and five, it's like Kyle Lofton's played like roughly a million minutes of college basketball Mm -hmm. and hasn't really been a guy to create a three-point shot and make it. Could we, you know, should we expect him to have that skill now? Like, uh, maybe, but I'm, I kind of think he probably is what he is in, in, in a lot of ways. So um, for that reason, it's like, Oh, like maybe Trey Bonham is going to shoehorn himself into that kind of position um, where he commands minutes and Hey, I'd love to see it. That's a, that'd be a good problem to have, but yeah. Um, and I, I think what I'm seeing is, is him as maybe like that, that five eleven six foot two guard, like the, like the, the guys that he had at San Francisco or even like, like Crest Glover could have been um, and watching, you know, we can get back to the front court Watching Neil's lane so far in the practices that I've seen, I've seen him primarily at the three and the four rather than the two when it comes to groupings. And I've seen Kwesi Reeves, again, to my eye, be almost primarily at the three. And um, so I, I'm not sure that they're so much uh, that competition for that two two guard spot so much as is in that wing three and, 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 and spot. Because actually, Neil's lane, uh, Nas lane today, reiterated that he has been playing some four and, and 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 what that means and you watch him out there his fights with both Kwesi Reeves and Alex Fudge I wish you could see though like the the um the pride he takes at kind of playing against both guys and both guys going back at him you hear uh, her Kwesi Reeves today just talk about how uh, a guy like Niles Lane really helps him become a better player rather than in years past he might have been co- covered by uh a manager or a walk-on is as now to be covered by Niles Lane in the front court is just a really big thing. And then Niles Lane talking about going up against a bigger athletic guy like Alex Fudge and you watch them go at each other and also watching Felder and Fudge go at it. The battles back and forth have just been really a a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting. And that's something I didn't consider because I would not, it's a little tough for me to imagine a world where Kwesi Reeves and Niles Lane are, are playing minutes at the four, I'm, other than the fact that I think that Kwesi Reeves and Niles Lane might end up being better players than, you know, an Alex Fudge. No, I, I'm not saying that yeah, for sure. Well, I, mean, I, I, can, I, I, I haven't seen Kwesi so much at the four. I've seen him just at the three, but I mean, but Niles, he's actually put on like, right, a little yeah. bit of weight. I've seen him at the four, um, but yeah, it's been interesting to watch. Yeah, and I just think, like, again, for, for Golden, who played so big at, at uh, San Francisco, which, again, is kind of stylistically, I mean, me and Neil talked about how we, like, love the West Coast Conference on the last podcast. And one of the reasons why is because it's kind of, like, got its own ecosystem. Like, it's on its own evolutionary track where, like, the double, like the West Coast Conference really had its own style of play. Um, that's what I love when these kind of have their own distinct style. And a lot of that was, like, even though these were mid-major teams, a lot of them, 
I'm not saying Gonzaga's a mid-major team, uh, but the other teams, <laughs> the conference mid-major teams, but like we're used to seeing like, Oh, play, you know, go play North Florida. Um, and their center six foot seven and their power forwards, you know, six, six and 195 pounds. But then you see like, you know, the West coast conference and these like, you know, mid-major teams, but they've got, you know, a seven footer and a six foot 10 guy. And they're both, you know, below the basket, you know, bangers. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to see that I like, again, so I do know that probably to an extent, Golden was having to match the style of the West coast conference and deal with Gonzaga doing duck and ball screens every time down the floor. But it just always was like a team that took rebounding so seriously played big. I was just kind of thought like, Oh, Golden's going to want to play big. So I never really thought about the idea that that lane could play the four, but I mean, if, if lane's playing the four and Quasi's playing the three, it's like, then yeah, absolutely there. You could see some more minutes for Trey bottom. And, you know, I just, I've, there's a, a very special place in my heart for undersized guards that can create and hit shots off mm-hmm. the dribble. So I, I, I love, I love Trey Bonham. I just think it's going to be a matter of like, okay, how important is rebounding going to be to this team, which I think it's going to be quite important because golden it's always been important to golden's teams and uh, how much is, is defense going to matter. And I just wonder like, yes, in practice, it can be, Oh, well, look how fast we are to the basketball and how switchy we are when it's like, there's a bunch of six, five guys from one to four, but like suddenly you start playing in the sec. And I think Florida saw that year over year after year, but just didn't have that counter punch of guy. But like Florida went into every season these last couple of years thinking, Oh, like we, we love having six foot five at the four. And then it just didn't work. So well, what the good news is, is that it's not like golden is only having the small guys at the four. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would put your mind at ease for that. Um, <laughs> a guy like, um, like having a lot of, TJ Felder in at the four. Um, Alec Simchik is getting a, a lot of minutes where he is taking his lumps <laughs> against guys like Jason Jatobo and Colin Castleton. And he's a guy that stretches the floor. And, and you can tell that he's obviously late to the conditioning game with the other guys. He, he has a great body. He's, he's in, 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 he looks, you know, almost like, you know, the, the, the guy you want off the bus. But you can tell he's like, he doesn't have some of the wind that some of those guys have yet and they're out there, but he's out there fighting. So in terms of big guys, actual big guys, Colin Castleton, um, Jason Jatobo, Alec Semchik, those guys have legitimate SEC size. In addition to CJ Felder, who, you know, is 6'7", 240. And to see CJ Felder, and I don't go around a lot of bit, but CJ Felder actually healthy, actually buff, actually in there, you know, battling after you know his sports hernia and it was apparently there was something else going on he's, he mentioned today that also had to be corrected and it was like maybe like a two or three month rehab process he had to go through so it's just a, a really uh real blessing to see him back out there like I said going back at it with Alex Fudge who he said he kind of considers almost like a little brother and um they've been going back and like I said going back and forth at it a lot with a smile you know like talking trash and that kind of thing so it's been a really beautiful to watch that as well but never uh rest your mind at ease the big men are actually playing it's not just little guys we're not having like like the the, the russian gentleman from rice like we had a couple couple years ago <laughs> lots of big guys uh to um you know wet your whistle no I, and look, again there's multiple ways to win and there's multiple ways to win the sec and i don't want to say like oh playing big is is the only way to win in the sec i just uh you know i i, I just looking at the league looking at some of the struggles florida's had recently in rebounding defending and and honestly i think part of that with florida was even the fact that you'd hope to get some perhaps more offensive value and more shooting if you're going to play 
four guys on the floor that are under six foot five. And of course we didn't get to see that kind of premium on shooting or premium on ball or ball handling. You'd like to think, Oh, if you're going to have all these guys that are not true forwards out there, Oh, you're going to get more ball handling. And Florida also didn't get that. So um, of course, if you get Niles Lane at the four, then you're suddenly getting that ball handling for that. Suddenly you have four ball handlers on the floor. Of course, Niles Lane shooting a little bit to be determined. Um, but no, that's, that's interesting notes. And that's why it's great to have you um, at practice, um, Malik. Um, I know you touched on uh, um, a bunch of, well, I think you touched on every front court name. We will, we will, we will go get a little bit into every single player, um, unless you want to interject with with any more kind of tangents. But um, I think, uh, I think next we will, uh, we will go to, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a true center, Jason Jatobo. Gotcha. Okay. Well, it's, it's funny when you talk about uh, like Jason Jatobo, I, I think you have to start with, uh, what a great journey it is for him to even be playing and, uh, you know, looking kind of the best he's ever looked. Colin Hartman today uh, spoke at length and, you know, his, his face lit up talking about Jason. He said, Jason is, is my guy. Mm. <laughs> and um, I didn't, I still didn't quite realize kind of the extent of what he went through. I, I'm, I'm sure you'll see some stories about it tomorrow, but uh, there, apparently there was a, a muscle detached uh, in his eye. There was also a detached retina. Uh, he had to have multiple surgeries on his eye. Um, and there were, I think he said as many as like two or three months where he had to sleep on facing down with like a hole oh. in his bed, that kind oh. of thing to make sure things healed the right way. Um, and this is all before any basketball. And this is a gentleman, obviously, that's had foot surgeries and all, all that kind of stuff. So to, to, to see him now, and he still has that smile on his face, um, I actually messaged him on Instagram one time because earlier because he was like kind of working on on his foot and I was saying hey you know I'm, I'm hoping you get to have some fun out there you know we see you working so hard and, and he kind of sent back you know the kind of praying hands emoji and stuff but but just just watching him out there he, he looks in place as as coach Hartman said he has great hands he has great feet um when he sets a screen guys don't get around him very easily and you're seeing them use him in those, those things it's it doesn't you can tell sometimes he's out there getting tired, but it's not like he's out there laboring the, the way he's done in past years. It's maybe that he's, when he goes to the basket, he's not going for, for a dunk every time, but he is getting up there. He's, he's throwing it down here and there, but it, it doesn't look to be in the, in the best shape of his life. I'm not sure. I wonder how much that means in terms of how many minutes he gets. Um, but I do think that most games, he's you're probably going to want him out there because of the things he does. I've seen a little bit of him and Colin a, a little bit out there, but, but mostly it's been like it's been either or type of thing. But um, I'm, I'm excited to, to see what he gives. You, if, if Colin is healthy and you have him and some chicken to Tobo, suddenly you have some options at center. Obviously, you don't want any, anybody to, to go down. I was saying suddenly you would have, you know, be pretty thin. But as is, you, you kind of have some options there. And Jatobo, I think, is a is a is a special option in himself. Yeah, I lo love to hear that he's looking more healthy. I mean, and I think even you and me had a little bit of a, or a couple of back and forths where I kind of suggested that his his conditioning was, you know, a, a him problem. You had kind of said, Oh, I kind of think like you can't really fault him. He's had all these injuries. And where where the answer is, who is right on that, not to, you know. Don't totally know, but what we can agree on is like, yeah, having a detached retina, that's uh, that's not a conditioning issue. That's purely 
awful luck. So it, it was kind of like, after all this time of being like, Oh, is it like, is his conditioning issues? Like, Oh, is it like, is his fault for not putting himself in condition or, you know, is it, Oh, is it because he's had all these injuries? It's not his fault. It's like, Oh man, for him to have something that is unquestionably just <laughs> very bad luck that that's brutal. But um, yeah, it's great to, great to hear that he has been out there and, and looking good. And uh, I do mean this kind of like respectfully, even though I just said that, you know, talked about these mid-major teams running two bigs in WCC, but like Jason Jatobo in a lot of ways, looks like a lot of these players that were really successful in the WCC. So like, I could see where, um, I, like there's part of me that thinks that like Golden would look at Colin Castleton and Jatobo together and be like, oh, I can work with this. Like I can get these guys uh, together. Like um, I, I've played against teams that do that. I have used two bigs like this. So I, I do wonder I, 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 that if they get out together, um, I think it'd be worth a look. Um, I, I wrote about Chitobo recently at Gator Country, and he, he's kind of an interesting study for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is just like the sample size for him is still so, so low. Very small, yeah. But it, it, with that small sample size from year to year, it, there is some kind of like consistent numbers, again, albeit on a very small sample, but like he, he's very, very good offensively, particularly finishing. Um, I think we've always seen those really good hands, but he hasn't been very good defensively, which I think you can kind of – there's, there's going to be times where like, yes, the, the foot speed and mobility, especially given the fact that he was injured, not in great shape, that's going to be a problem. But I think the big thing that for me, that is a problem is that the Gators, when he was on the floor, were a very bad rebounding team and his individual rebounding numbers were poor, um, at least on the defense rebound. He was a decent offensive rebounder, but mm-hmm. Florida's big problems were defensive rebounding just on a whole. And you'd think that someone of his size would be positive in that area. But, you know, whether you want to look at numbers of the team when he was on the floor or his own personal numbers or your eye test, in my opinion, he was not a very good defensive rebounder. And I'm just curious if you, if that's something that, that you saw, or if it's something that you maybe, you know, if you've picked up anything at practice or if you just have any thoughts on like, why do you think he hasn't been as impactful of a defensive rebounder as you might expect for someone with that frame? Well, I mean, I, I would think that for me, I, I think it's, it comes down, it's come down to his conditioning. Uh, and, and he's a guy who's struggled with, with the foot issues and all, all that kind of thing. A lot of times, you know, you ask him out there, he's been just dragging, trying to, you know, get his breath and find a way to, to do those things. Um, watching him now, because Alex Fudge is a guy who, you know, they had hoped to get up to 215, but he's more closer to that 200, 205 range. It hasn't quite put on that, that kind of weight. I think pairing him with somebody like Chitobo or, you know, even, like I said, if they're going smaller with Will Richard or Niles Lane, to have a guy like Chitobo just taking up space and blocking the suns, so to speak, on, on both ends, I think it helps having hopefully helps those guys be able to get in sneak rebounds themselves because fudge is a relentless rebounder and an effort guy but if if he's with another thin person (laughs) this it's a little too much boniness if he has another kind of meaty guy in there i'm hoping that that kind of tandem together does some things also um, you may have heard that um quasi reeves is rebounding the ball much better than he ever than he did last year probably from being in better shape partly from just technique. Uh, there's some rebounding drills that we've seen the players do uh, where they're learning how to find their man, bang into him, then turning and get the ball. Just strictly fundamental things. And Kwesi Reeves, as we would expect, has taken that like a sponge and he's definitely rebounding the ball much more. So I guess the, the hope is that maybe other guys can pick up the slack 
while Jatobo is the guy just taking up space in there. Because I'm not sure if he's going to take the leap this year as a rebounder. I think it might be kind of a year project where he actually, you know, has a year next year to maybe practice rather than just rehab as he did this past year. Although again, he, he is in, in better shape with what Leo Lopez has been doing and whatever he's been eating, that kind of stuff. But I don't expect him to suddenly become a great rebounder, but I haven't seen guys just stealing rebounds from him either. Cause again, his hands are good and he does have the win now to stay on the court when he's playing and stuff, which he didn't in the past. Yeah, I just think to be a successful center in the modern game, like if you look at, if you want to really, really simplify things and say there's offense, defense, and rebounding, it's like you've got to kind of be good at two of those three things. If yeah. you look at a lot of the centers that, you know, hang at the SEC level or the high major level, and it's like we know that defense is like, I, again, I don't want to, I don't want to cap him and say he's never going to be a great defender. He totally could be, but I think at that size, he might struggle to be a plus defender or maybe even an average defender, but uh, we know he can be good offensively. So it's just kind of like, I almost look at that rebounding as a swing point. It's like if the Gators are getting hammered with him on the glass and he's not a great defender. It's like, is that offense good enough to justify him having a big role? I We'll see. He's good offensively. Is he that good? I mean, we'll see. And of course that's going to be the question is like, well, is Castlin going to play, 30 plus minutes again, or can he play more like 26, 28 and, and have some more depth behind him to, to eat up some of that role. So uh, the one thing too defensively that I think could help. And one thing that I'm just really excited for just like generally is that the Gators for the last couple of years have had one pick and roll defense and they, they went ride or die. Didn't matter what happened. They were going <laughs> to flat hedge pick and rolls. They were going to tag from the lowest man on the two side and it didn't matter no how many times they got there. scored, no matter what personnel was on the floor, yeah. no matter who they were playing against, no matter what personnel was on shooter, the floor. Shooter, non-shooter. They scored. That was how they were going to guard pick and rolls. Yeah. So that was one of the things when, when Golden got hired um, that I was kind of quick to point out mm -hmm. on Twitter that I appreciated is that they really had multiple pick and roll coverages. And I think that that could be something that is really beneficial to a guy like Chitobo who won't have to be, oh, like, well, you, it's because I feel like in the past it was like, there was, there was a, well, really there was a pick and roll defense, honestly, like to, to what it really seemed like is there was a pick and roll defense with all world defender Kavarius Hayes. And then it was like, okay, everyone's got to conform to that style. And then there was guys that weren't as good at that hedging scheme that still just had to play that way. And now I think it's going to be like, Hey, if, if Jason Sobo, who's just so wide, if they decide hard hedging is going to be the best way to use his kind oh, of foot yeah. You know his sneaky foot speed that size and just his wide frame then that's great and then they'll they'll do that and then maybe they drop with Colin Castle like that's something that we have like seen with Golden and San Francisco teams that they will play different pick and roll defenses and that's something that will be really interesting I think for for Jason Jatobo and hopefully that's something that also gives confidence that they can get the best out of them and it won't be a situation where teams are just hunting Jason Jatobo in, in pick and rolls all the time so um, that'll be pretty interesting um, let's get to what is probably the most interesting uh, or at least to me the most intriguing player on florida's in florida's front court you mentioned his name in a couple different ways but that's alex fudge um i mean man he didn't play that much in the sec last year so there's not a lot of tape so i think your eyes you got to see see him in practice are you know as much as anyone's really seen from him over the last eight or nine months so uh i, I know you've kind of alluded to it a couple different things about his game but again overall just takeaways about alex fudge what are they well here's here's the bottom line we joked about Will Wade at LSU and how bad they were defensively under him over the years. Then suddenly this year, they not last year, they were a much better defensive team. We were like, wait, has he changed his coaching? Has he done this, that, that? No. He had Alex Fudge 
and he had Tari Eason, and suddenly they were a good defense for most of most of the years. So. And when you watch him on film, he's a guy covering point guards and then going to the rim and blocking centers, and and you're seeing all those things, you know, on tap uh, when when you when you watch him uh, watch him play in practice. I didn't get to see, unfortunately, um, that, that there was a apparently on Monday there was a poster dunk he did over C.J. Felder. That was so good. Even C.J. Felder was marveling at it. <laughs> and like the, the whole team had to get their composure. Like, wait, what just happened? I wish I'd seen that. But but I, I did see, um, you know, like I said, the back and forth between those two. Uh, the motor is intense. Uh, he's a, a, he's also thinking on defense. He's anticipating things. He fights inside for, for rebounds. Uh, so just the, the stuff you, you heard about is definitely on tap. Uh, going inside of... Uh, as a role man, he's elite in some of those ways. So uh, he's taking the threes. There, there's sometimes where it, it's it doesn't look as, as great as you want it to. But he, he Niles Lane, even Jason Dotobo in the drills, they're all shooting the threes with confidence. And Fudge is making you know his his share of those. Now, what does that mean in games? I don't know. How often would you actually want him taking those? But it's not somebody where he's like guys hesitating out there to do that. But I think he's going to be an integral part of the team. I think he's going to start at the four. Um, you're going to have, uh, what's it, Jack Spratt and his wife, <laughs> you know, the, the the lean guy and, and, and the heavy guy when it comes to Castleton and Fudge or with Jatobo and Fudge. And I think uh, there's a real chance for that there would be a, some real synergy between those type of guys. I know you talked about his weight earlier and that he might not get to that kind of target goal. I, I, he just does have a pretty naturally kind of skinny frame, but it's, it's interesting. Cause like you, you watch him play, it still looks like he's has like a lot of functional strength. Like even though he was really thin, it didn't seem like guards were just blowing downhill, putting their shoulder into his chest and knocking mm-hmm. him back to create space. Like, you know, even if he doesn't get to that, um, that target weight I still feel like you know maybe strength's an issue but I feel like a lot of the times it, it, it kind of won't be and I think what's overall exciting about Fudge is when Florida was recruiting him out of high school this was someone who was like he was known as an offensive player like that was his reputation was a score and mm-hmm. you kind of watched him catching the mid post and hit turnaround jump shot after turnaround jump shot and it was just like okay this could be like that next big wing scoring NBA, maybe one and done talent. And then he gets to college and the scoring isn't totally there, but it's his defense that, you know, makes him really made a name for himself and um, got some people looking at him as a possible NBA prospect. And if you would have told me watching him in high school, it's like, Oh, his defense is going to be the best part of his game. I'm like, well, he can score the ball. So like that for sure means he's an NBA player. So uh, of course the, uh, yeah, like the, the offense wasn't totally there for him. And that's kind of why he fell out of the rotation in, in SEC play for LSU. But it's also interesting to hear you say that the three-point shot doesn't always look great. Kind of going back to his high school tape, it, it definitely was a lot of tough mid-range shots. And I, I guess I would describe him a little bit as like an aimer. Like the fundamentals weren't great, but he had that kind of ability to guide in shots rotation wasn't consistent and 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 when you've got really good touch and are shooting from the mid-range that can work but that's really not what you're looking for from, well, from well that's, that's that. the good news now is that you know there it's it's all it feels analytic based now there, there, there's no mid-range shots that, that, that we're, we're seeing with him it's yeah. you know it's open threes uh or it, it's going to the basket either off his own dribble sometimes or just off a back cut or off a pick and roll and a lob and that, that kind of thing or on the break, that kind of stuff. And when he's going inside, he's coming inside 
for you know <laughs> entertainment <laughs> uh death yeah. destruction uh you know a, a dad that kind of stuff and it, it's beautiful to watch and there are plenty of times on offense you feel like you don't have to run offense for him because he's just getting a putback. He's getting a tip. It's a tilted floor off an offensive rebound and he's flying downhill, which, you know, which uh, obviously, you know, we always want to see attacking a closeout with, because, you know, the first guy you're, you're kind of going out to the guy who's the great shooter, but if once the defense is tilted, sometimes guys are running out at guys who you normally wouldn't run out at <laughs> because, Oh, that's, that's not a shooter, but, the natural tendency, if Alex Fudge is wide open from the outside and you're already scrambling, you're going to go out of him at least a little bit. And that gives you that kind of edge and stuff. And you see that exploit a little bit in practice and also. Yeah, definitely some of those shots he took in high school. Well, a lot of the shots he took in high school are not going to fly in a lot of college systems, Yeah, uh, much less, you know, Florida's analytically based uh, ones. But um, no, it's all, it's all great to hear. And, and I think the one question I have for you again, if we want to take this slightly to the NBA side, how many more years do you think uh, Alex Fudge is going to be in college for? I, I would not be surprised to see Alex Fudge. Uh, obviously, obviously, I think definitely test the NBA waters this year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to, to see him go to the NBA, even at his current size, because um, he's he'll, he's 19 now, he'll turn 20 in the spring. That's about that age that they want you in the NBA or they start changing their opinion of you. Um how do things change in today's NIL, you know, landscape? Because uh, obviously there might be a nice package waiting for him to come back. He would be a better player. Would he necessarily lose his status? This is a very strong draft. Um, I, I wonder if might be see, see some guys take an extra year in college because there's, the draft this year will be so tough. Um, speaking of 19-year-olds um, forwards, I, I was actually looking at, you know, Alex Fudge along with Malik Renault. And Jalen Reed, who kind of the triumvirate oh. that could have all been at Florida. <laughs> and because um, and actually there was almost a straight up trade of Alex Fudge and Jalen Reed, because if you remember right, when Alex mm. Fudge committed to come to Florida, that was when Jalen Reed was like, had a collective harumph. <laughs> and, um, you know, yeah. why are you recruiting all these forwards? And they ended up at LSU. Also, those guys, um, again, they're all 19. They're all a little bit bigger. <laughs> Alex Fudge is in that. He's listed at 194. I, I'm going to give, I'm, I'm saying he's probably up to 200 something by now. Uh, but Jalen Reed is listed at 6'10, 230 right now at LSU. And Malik Renault is listed at 6'9, 235. So it would be interesting to see those guys here. We, we, we have our, our own um, mega athlete there, but they definitely don't have the same beef as those guys. And I'm going to be watching them closely to see how they do in terms of a front court across the country. Yeah, if uh, Jalen Reed wants to be the next, you know, athletic uh, forward to commit uh, to Florida from LSU, I would happily take him. <laughs> Come on back. He's a excellent, excellent player. So, uh, um, yeah, that would that'd be all right. But uh, it's great to hear all that kind of Alex Fudge uh, talk. It's great to see excitement for him from a lot of people that have seen him. And and I know you said you missed the one poster dunk, but I think that's all right because I think we'll probably witness uh, witness plenty more of those. Oh no, this yeah, year. there's there's highlights from him and, and Riley Kugel every time you watch I me. Mean, I mean, Riley had another play again. I thought of you uh, attacking a closeout, uh, made a creative move, and goes in the lane and just throws it down with two hands and he's doing that on a regular basis uh again riley kugel playing at the one two and three in practice uh he will be on the floor this year there's no doubt yeah i was gonna i was gonna ask you and i mean you're welcome to answer but i don't you don't have to think too hard but i was gonna say like you know is this gonna be the most athletic gator team since 
what what year i uh, and uh you know my quick just like mentally that's it's it's hard to imagine you've been a you've been a fan for a little longer than me so i don't know if you can think of what the most ath- athletic team um possible was but uh, so if I, you I can think, think of that some- one year with, with, with donnell harvey um as as a freshman the one that they kind of went and i, I wanted and they they had justin hamilton on that team okay mike, okay mike miller uh, but just because Donald, Har- like, he had a bunch of pretty good athletes and stuff. And then Donald Harvey would come in and you'd be like, wait, this guy doesn't even know what he's doing. He's doing these power spin moves, just dunking on people and stuff. So I think that's that was one of the more, if, if not the most athletic team that I saw top to bottom. Because they, they were, you know, even 9, 10 deep as well. So I think that that's one I would go for. So we're definitely going back a little bit. Um, yeah, for sure. There's been, there's been the fair share of, you know, the, the Nick Calathis and, and Andrew Nemhards of the world that we love, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, we're not uh, putting guys on posters. So um, I, one player that was unfortunately on the receiving end of this poster, but a player that I am really excited for is CJ Felder. Uh, I wrote about him also recently at Gator country and, and just kind of like remembering that, like, I really think last year was, a lost year that I honestly think a lot of people just need to like take out of their memory. Like it's honestly crazy. If you look at Boston college, CJ Felder and then CJ Felder from last year, like, like I truly look at them. They look like different players. Like Felder was so much heavier um, at Florida. Um, and you the, watch the, the 2.2 blocks. I mean, at Boston college, <laughs> I mean, what the hell? Yeah. Like they, they truly look like even the way that they move. Like if you watch one of the, you watch Boston college Felder run in Florida Felder run, like their gates were different. Like they true. Like I, I really think something was, was quite wrong. And I still remember when they had the exhibition and CJ Felder had a breakaway and he went to dunk it and hardly got his hand above the rim. I was like, like something is, is, is yeah. wrong here. Like I truly, like, it wasn't a joke. I was, you know, I truly yeah. thought I remember saying the same way. Yeah. Like, like there is something wrong here. And, and he just never got out of it. And then it was nice to hear or hear see a couple months ago, he tweeted that he was kind of finally felt like he was healthy. So mm-hmm. going back and looking at what he was at, at Boston college, the player that we were really excited for coming to Florida, like, man, if there's like an X factor that I don't think people are talking about enough, it's like, it, it could be CJ Felder. Cause like you mentioned, this was a guy who was a big time shot blocker, um, big time uh, steals guy, someone who rebounded the ball really effectively could put the ball on the floor. Um, the shot, the, the three point percentage wasn't great, but he showed kind of good potential there. And that was actually the one thing that on a small sample size, he did do well at Florida was improve his three point shot. So like, this is a player that, you know, I think I'm with you right now. If I had to guess right now that I, I do think it's Alex Fudge is starting at the four over CJ Felder. But like, man, if you look at like CJ Felder, who is an awesome ACC basketball player. And then you look at, you know, Alex Fudge, who struggled to get on the floor of the SEC. And it's like, would I be surprised if CJ Felder kind of usurped that, usurped him for that starting role? Like, not at all for me. So I, I'm really excited for Felder. Really happy he's totally healthy, or hopefully totally healthy. Uh, but uh, what are your kind of thoughts on on Felder? And yeah, what have what have you been seeing? Well, in my mind, I think those are going to be the the, the the like those two front court spots with forward and center. I think you know Alex Fudge, C.J. Felder, and Colin Caston are going to be the the mainstays there. And um, we went from the three point shot being a theoretical and something we hope for and what we'll see what happens to last year being pleasantly surprised i think the three-point shot is real he's, he's taking a lot of them in practice taking a lot of them uh in warm-ups he's taking he's, he's taking them confidently they're going in <laughs> um mm-hmm. so i i think that the three-point shot is now real i mean like last year was just small sample size but i think he's he's really doing that and he's he's also he's gotten more of his bounce back 
more of his athleticism. I, I do think he's another guy who will benefit if he's back next year to have a summer of practice and training rather than rehab. I think there's a place to get back to put there from. But where he is right now, he does look like a totally different player than, than last year without question. Like I said, the battles between him and Alex Fudge and also just feeling more, more like a leader, more part of the team and that, that kind of thing is just nice to see um, the chemistry between the other bigs and all. So I, I think it's going to be an important part of the team. Like I said, I think those three uh, big men, if you will, are going to have the majority of those in, inside minutes, if I had to guess. So last year I was calling for CJ Felder at center minutes. Um, it's something I thought would have worked really kind of well for this team and would have provided some of what they needed when, when Con Castlin wasn't on the floor. And I would say that we got pretty much zero CJ Felder minutes at the five when he was out there um, with Anthony Deruji. It was still like, it was like Deruji was um, if you, Florida played some kind of four out one in and it was Deruji on the inside, he was kind of setting ball screens and then mm-hmm. CJ Felder sat in the corner um which you know we saw that he did improve his jumper a little bit but even it was almost like Drugi was guarding fives a lot of the times um even defensively so it's kind of like even the minutes that you that Felder was the biggest player out there I would argue he was still playing power forward um but it's you know moving forward for this team do you see any scenario where CJ Felder plays the five or do you think he's someone who's pretty much landlocked there at the four no, I, I think he plays some five. I, I've seen a little bit of him there at, at, at the five, that kind of thing. I think mostly they've been trying to get Simchik, uh, his minutes, kind of get him, him blooded and, uh, you know, have, having to tell one thing. But I have seen uh, CJ Felder at the five. I think he'll be there some. Um, and again, just looking at the weights, <laughs> um, the the heaviest guy is Castleton. Then you got, I want to say you have Simchik at around 242 or maybe 232. And then Felder also at 240. And I think, you know, size matters at some point, <laughs> you know, having those bigger guys mm-hmm. and all. But I, I think that he will definitely play some, some, some five this year. That's why I think that that three-man rotation will, when you get down to the nitty-gritty of when we shorten the rotation, those guys be in there. But, you know, early season, I do think you see Jatobo, maybe even some some Samji, that kind of thing. But, yes, I think Felder at the five will definitely be a thing. Um, I, I don't think it would necessarily be a huge thing, you know, like early on necessarily, but when it gets to the nitty gritty, I think that that's a guy you're going to see backing up and kind of being in there when Hasselton's out. So. so you mentioned earlier that you think Alex Fudge is going to start. That's something I would agree with you on. Um, but like, what would be, I, I don't know how I want to frame this question of like, how many games do you think Alex Fudge starts? Or I could say like, what is your confidence level that Alex Fudge is your starter? I'm just, just kind of interested. Like, do you think that that's like, this is going to be kind of Alex Fudge's spot at power forward, or do you think that that CJ Felder ends up starting, you know, five games, ten games, zero games? Um, what 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 do you think there? I I think barring injury, I think Alex Fudge is, is your starter at at, at the four. Um, I think CJ gets plenty of minutes because I think the way Fudge plays and being so light, there be times where you want him to go all out and just you know bring him out and bring Felder in for some beef and that that, that kind of thing and let him do what he does. Um, but yeah, I, I think Fudge is going to be the starter. I think that's that's why the mindset when you hear Felder talk about Fudge being his little brother and wanting him to get uh, the maximize his talent and, and push him that kind of thing. I think that kind of phrasing is you know pushing this young talent uh, to the, the the heights that he can get to and kind of playing a role and all. I mean, I, I, I could be wrong, but I don't think that that it's it's going to be too much of, of a battle for, for starting unless there's injury, which you know, again, the way Fudge plays and at, at his, at his, um, his frame, you could definitely see some bumps and bruises and that kind of thing. Having to sit out here with a, 
bruise this or, or what have you because he plays so hard he's so high i mean like you know I, as i get older mm-hmm. when i watch these guys collide i'm i'm like i'm enjoying it but i'm also like oh uh, oh wait you know the guys these guys are flying <laughs> man i mean like because riley kugel goes into the, the basket and he's trying to dunk on everybody when he's you know when he's in there same thing with with with, with fudge and all and um like i said the bodies are just clotted there's it's a pretty physical team you know like uh, obviously you know you in my mind i think of Golden and, and Hovde and their their offensive sets, but they're they're pretty physical, and w- which which is is nice to see. Uh, there, there's some some oomph to them, you know, when it comes to crashing bodies and diving on the floor and all that kind of stuff, and even just kind of you know the the physicality inside. So, yeah, it's and I think that it's it's like it's good to hear Florida plays that way because Alabama plays that way, and Arkansas plays that way, and Kentucky plays that mm-hmm. way, and Tennessee has some of those. Uh, Tennessee has played that way a little bit. They they play a little bit differently, but uh, these last couple of years. But it's it's yeah, it's you know, it's SEC basketball these days. It's not just like three yards in a cloud of dust transferred to the basketball field it's like this is uh, a physical athletic high-flying kind of league and to know that florida is going to have some guys that can meet some of these opponents above the rim that, that that's pretty huge so um i think just the last player we uh, we need to talk to which is talk or talk about uh, which kind of maybe speaks to uh, something you said about a little bit of the fears about if there's injury depth, because there's only five guys to really talk about in the front court, but um, the, the uh, most recent addition to the Gators, Alex Shimchik. So um, it's, uh, I've got to say finding film on him. I was successful ultimately because the internet's great and having access to some European stuff has, has been big for me, but uh, a lot of people have not seen him because it is very difficult to get film of if the basketball Academy he was playing at in Germany. So, you know, Malik, you're, uh, you're probably in like the top <laughs> 25 people who have seen the most of Alex Shimchik play basketball. So um, what are your takeaways from seeing him in practice? Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, I just, uh, I have some friends that are really into the NBA draft and draft analysts. So I, I put his name out there saying, hey, what do you think of this guy? Uh, the Florida's getting, and um, they, they were a little more dismissive than I had hoped. <laughs> you know, they're saying, "Oh, well, at, at this level of play, what he did, yeah, you know, he's 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 already turning twenty uh, this fall." Um, so, but just watching him, like I said, he has a great frame. He is 20, 20 years old, and if you think of him as a guy that hopefully could be here a couple of years for development, um, he's in there battling. His shot is very nice, it's a, it's a very not nice shot, but he's not being allowed to just be uh, an outside shooter. I'm, I'm, I'm Marty Kuzma uh, to have a, a blast from, from the past, that type of a guy where he's j- just shooting the rock. He's in there banging. Cause he, he is 235 pounds. He, 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 and he's banging with guys like, um, you know, Castleton and Jatobo and he's given his all. Now, there's our time that, that often they're getting the best of him, but he's giving it back. He's trying to draw fouls and that kind of thing. So I think in years past, just the guy who would have gotten kind of big minutes for us, you know, I mean, right, right or wrong. And you'd have been like, Oh man, you know, uh, maybe overextending him, uh, seeing the, the, those type of things. But my hope is this year, you know, when you have those blowouts, you get him in there and you get him more and more polished and all, but he's a guy who brings something different to the floor. Like I said, with his shooting ability, with, with, with his size, I think he can bang. He's like, he's not the most physical guy, but you can tell that, they're trying to push that into him and him to use his body in that way. And that's something that I think he's going to be able to do more and more of. So like I said, it's exciting to have this guy in here, the 20 year old to, you know, if he's here at age 21, 22, after a couple of years with coach Lopez, 
and still has that shooting ability, I think he could be uh, a pretty valuable player in the SEC. You know, is that a guy who's starting for you or not? I, I don't know, but I think he can be a, a valuable player. I think he'll have a role, hopefully, in more blowouts or if needed, if there are injuries and stuff. And I don't think he'll poop the bed or anything like that. He, he's a, a skilled player, that kind of thing. And they might need to protect him some, but I mean, I'm excited about him. Yeah, I thought he had some pretty good fluidity athletically for someone of his size. Um, I thought that, yeah, he does I dunk the at, looked- at the rim, you know, when, when it comes to, you know, he's not just laying the ball up. He does have the pop to dunk at the rim and all. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So, I mean, that's something that like watching the film, it was just so much turnaround jumpers, like catch the ball in the post. It was like never even like crab dribble, crab dribble baby hook it was just like all turnaround jump shots and uh i can tell you in the few games i watched he did not dunk the ball once so hearing you so that i do think there was a little bit of like you could see why when i I thought it was interesting when you were like it was apparent that they're trying to instill kind of like playing a little bit more assertively because yeah i do think he needs to do that and you know, I do think it's interesting and I, I don't even think I would ask the coaching staff if I had the opportunity to, cause I don't need to know the answer, but I do wonder if this is someone the Gators see as a hidden gem or if they saw it as a flyer because they had a scholarship just for people who kind of know, like some, some, some recruiting services in Europe that cover these guys cover these academies they did not think he was a high major basketball player and a lot of them thought he was a low major basketball player um for again for whatever that's worth and there was also some prep and post-grad coaches that i know um that thought that they could get him this year and it was kind of funny they were like oh we thought we were going to get this guy to come do a post-grad at my high school Mm -hmm. and now he's at florida like you know there's so uh, again could that be oh we think this is a gem or maybe it is just a little bit of a flyer. And hey, if it's a flyer, that's that's no problem. It's, I think yeah, that's it. Well, if you're going to take a flyer, take someone who, like you have mentioned, is a complete change of pace to the guys you already have in your front court. Well, and, and I also think um, when you have other players at, at the positions around a guy who are those elite prospects or have become really good players, sometimes you can have just a, a specialist or a guy who you know just does his, his job able to shine when he's next to great players and all like if, if subject is the guy is the focal point of your offense and you know the weak point of your defense that's one thing but if he's coming in just for a specific role off the bench next to an alex fudge next to cj felder he doesn't have to get exposed as much he can just you know in this motion offense and you mentioned you know having a you know five out or four out and one in when we watch florida when i watch them out there there's constant movement, which will be you know music to people's ears and all, but there's constant <laughs> guys flashing, pick this guy, backdoor this guy, go around front, guy open outside. Like it's even when guys are on the perimeter, they're always moving and making themselves a threat, whether by sprinting or by screening and then rolling and that kind of stuff. So, you know, I don't think even offense or defense, you're going to have the same exposure, hopefully, that, that you would have when guys are stagnant or when guys were allowed to just, you know, be uh targeted one-on-one even on the defensive end so I think that there's more help like you know for those guys so that's my hope is that if he's just a role player if he's next to other guys that are more advanced at knowing their roles you can kind of protect them a little bit so I think kind of unless you have anything more to say on Shimchik, I think my last question to you about him would be just uh, how much like let's say let's say in a perfect world where everyone's healthy how much do you see Shimchik playing right away? You did mention he's not your prototypical freshman. He's a little bit older um, for guys who play in Europe and are in academies that 
could could have gone kind of the pro route. A lot of them don't always, you know, come to college to to ride the bench. So I'm just, uh, yeah, curious. How much do you kind of see him playing this year? Well, I think in that you know three to five, just six minute range, because I do think because of the way they've scheduled, even in in the short time. Florida has put in some cupcakes in here. So there are going to be some blowouts where you get a chance to give the young guys some run. Even, you know, Alex Klatsky and, and, and Jack May will be able to get out there some and, and, and show what they can do. So that's the kind of things I think he's able to do. But also you have Colin Castle and, and Jatobo who both have some serious injuries in their past. So, you know, knock on wood, nothing happens. But, you know, he could be thrust in a role if one of those things pops back up. So, uh, I would say maybe five to seven, just based on all those things, because they're blowouts and the injury risks, God forbid. Actually, I do have one more question. Uh, do you see him as more of a five or someone who can play the four? Right now that they're, they're having him at, at the five, I could see him eventually doing some four um, next to the right center because he does is a shooter. Um, he does have, have some different skills and all, but right now I'm seeing him um, almost exclusively at the five when they're practicing just to get him ready for that role. Because I think they, they have enough guys at the four when it comes to Fudge, Felder, and again, Niles Lane, as well as I think Will Richard. We, like you said, he played four at the Belmont. I think he'll play some four here as well. We haven't had a chance to see him. I'm, you know, I'm itching to see what, how he does out there and all, but I think they have plenty of guys they can do at the four, but only a few guys that are going to be at the five. So that's what I think. Yeah. I just, it's, it's again, I just keep thinking of like, Matt, if this was San Francisco, I could totally see how uh, golden would, would have Shimchik out there like next to a Jatobo. And like, that's kind of what he did at San Francisco, but uh, that's not the case. You know, now he's at Florida. Now he's in the sec. So really interested to see the lineups and uh, Malik, this was wonderful. Um, this will not be the last time we podcast together. So um, I'll give you an opportunity to plug everything you do in your Twitter account. But for people listening, just know that uh, Malik will be back plenty of times. So you'll hear him lots. So um, thank you, Malik. But uh, if you, you could just uh, say your Twitter, say your other podcasts you're involved with and anything you want to plug. Oh, sure. Yeah. My, my, my Twitter handle is Malik G. Um, you can listen to the Close Up Magic. Um, I, I especially want people to, to search out Eric Fawcett stuff. He doesn't do, oh, do no. that much that much promotion, uh, right for Ghetto Country, but his stuff is excellent. Um, doesn't engage as much on social media because he's much more busy nowadays and all that kind of thing. But uh, stuff is fire. I mean, if you find it, you're not going to be sad. I mean, it's good. <laughs> People nationally say Eric Foster's name because that's the level that it is. So just, you know, you got a gym, use it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get we, we love you Malik again if you want to know anything about you know Malik's character um, I just asked him to give his own Twitter and plug his own stuff and he chose to use his time to um, compliment me so um, Malik you are an all-around good guy so um, we will have you on the podcast um, we, we, we appreciate you helping us out with uh, the social media and uh, we're really happy that uh, we're gonna have you as kind of part of the team this year so um, looking forward to this to doing this again absolutely thank you brother Go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.